Hello, kings and queens. Welcome to the Affirmations of Excellence podcast, an offering of personal devotionals to fuel your faith. I am your guide, Dr. Ariel Ellis. This new series that has been inspired by Mark chapter 5, verses 33 through 34, has been focused on centering the intersections of mental health and spiritual development. And we've just had some phenomenal conversations with our guest host, Dr. V. The inspiration here was to open up a deep dialogue about the issue of mental health with a Christ-centered lens. We wanted to share insights on important topics that could position you to pursue healing in areas of life that often seem most difficult to overcome. I'm excited to share many more topics with you once this series is up, and I want your feedback on other topics that we can present to you on the podcast. My guest host is Dr. Vanessa Abernathy, licensed psychologist, liberation theologian, and narcissistic abuse recovery expert. She serves as a counselor for crisis services at Engman Health Center and clinical assistant professor of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. She earned a doctorate in clinical psychology and a master's in psychology from Fuller Theological Seminary School of Psychology and earned a master's degree in divinity from Duke University. She also has a Bachelor of Arts degree from North Carolina Central University. As a therapist, Dr. V specializes in crisis intervention, treatment of anxiety and depression, emotional abuse recovery, integration of spirituality and psychology, and recovery from interpersonal injury, such as family, distress, and infidelity. Her book, Unbaitable You, Keys to Triumph Over Narcissistic Abuse, integrates faith and mental health in the healing journey from emotional abuse and help survivors and allies, counselors, clinicians hold space for the risks and resources of faith in recovering from emotional abuse. Dr. V is based in North Carolina and California. Mental health and money are now more connected than ever. Mental health problems can make it harder for you to earn and manage your money and debt can trigger or worsen conditions such as anxiety, depression, and stress. So let's explore how our financial decisions are informed by our mental health and how the status of our mental health can affect us both positively and negatively when it comes to money. Okay, hold up, wait. Before we jump into this episode, I want you to know something. I am so grateful that you're listening to the Affirmations of Excellence podcast, but I need you to like, share, and subscribe. Do it now. Okay. All right. Let's dive in. Welcome back, Dr. V. Thank you for having me, Dr. Ellis. Awesome. Awesome. So so today's episode is about money. Yes. Money. How might say Ariel, Dr. Ariel, how is money related to mental health? Well, there's some connections that we want to be able to make with you because mental health and money are now more connected than ever. Mental health problems can make it harder to earn and manage your money and debt can trigger a worsen condition such as anxiety, stress, and depression. So we want to take some time during this healed series to explore how our financial situation and our decisions are informed by our mental health and how the status of our mental condition can affect us both positively and negatively when it comes to money. 
So as we kind of you know get into this conversation, I want to there's several scripture references that we can present around money. Ecclesiastes 10 and 19, it talks about the feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is an answer for everything. Some folks wouldn't know that scripture as much as they would know uh, money being the root of all evil, that particular scripture. But there is a scripture that centers money being the answer of uh, for problems, if you will, contextually, right? Um, the scripture Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Or Philippians 4 and 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So as we think about what it means to center a conversation around mental health and money, we realize that many times our beliefs surrounding money and even with religion and faith, comes from what we've learned from our family. So if we think about issues and, and beliefs around money, how we manage it, we've learned most of that from the people who've taught us everything else that we know. Dr. V, from your perspective, how do you see family history impacting our relationship with money? Well, I when we first, you know, talked about you know, having a conversation about this, I was thinking, I'm, I'm still a student of this. Um, <laughs> there's a program um, that I've shared with you before, uh, D-Free with Dr. Buster Stories or DeForest Stories. And yes. it is, uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's about, you know, it's a financial learning and literacy program, but it steeps itself all the way back to early history of African-Americans in this country and the Bible, right? So it's doing that. And so in that way, I'm still a student because I've, I'm overcoming generations of uh, poverty mindset or lack or limit or struggle, uh, scarcity in my own life. And that really is the reason because we talked in our last episode about relationships and how family, those are those core foundational relationships that help us with our working definitions. They help us define money, the rules of engaging with money, uh, how to use money, what to think about money, what does money tell you about yourself? What does money tell you about God? Uh, and there's so many dis misbeliefs around money Oh, especially in the African-American Christian community, my goodness gracious, or at least the ones that I know, mm -hmm. um, because it helps what you see your family do with money and how they respond to people and themselves and you, you start to pick up on and, and they become ingrained. And so once you learn, you get away from your family some, or you learn something that's different. I know I've had clients that you know, we're really resentful, like, wow, I wish my family had told me this or set me up. But then we have to look, you know, from a restorative justice perspective and say, well, they only taught you what they knew. And now some of them are just now learning it. So it's right. never too late to learn. But again, our families help us um, identify what money means. So yeah, we're thinking so theologically and psychologically about money today. Yes, absolutely. Theologically and psychologically about money. I think if I look at my own context, Dr. V, I, in, in the context of family and relationships and what, what I was taught about money, 
I think practically I was taught that you need money and, you know, as long as you got enough of it to do what's necessary, you're good. Right. Um, and what I did not recognize was that there was a, I think there was a belief about wealth that wasn't negative, but it wasn't positive either. Right. And a little dirty. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, or, or should I say the, 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 the acquisition of wealth. Right. Um, however, there were ways in which I saw my family situated and, and I'm speaking primarily of my mother's side of the family who's who raised me. There were ways in which my family was situated where they were maybe slightly well off than others, you know, in our community. And, but we're, we're still very much talking about a, a working class black community in the South though, we're not, right? So, so, so I saw this, this thing and I'll tell you the story really, really quickly. As a kid, I grew up with my great grandparents, my mom, single mother. And we lived in a house that my great grandfather built for the family. So that he built the house in the early 1940s. My grandmother and her sister were toddlers at the time. Wow. So they move up, they move up from Mississippi. They build the house in Memphis. And I'm the fourth generation child, if you were third generation child, to grow up in this house. And the school bus, my middle, my elementary school, the school bus would drop me at the block that was under the hill from my house. So the kids would see me get dropped off at the bottom of the hill at the, at the school bus stop. But when I walked over the hill, they had no idea what house I was going to. And at the corner of the house was this really big, beautiful mansion, if you will, mm. um, where around in that surrounding area, my great grandfather had sold land he owned some of the land and he sold the land and several of those folks were able to build houses on that land but we didn't live in one of those big houses mm -hmm. we lived in the old house <laughs> and so in comparison to some of the kids that I went to school with they thought that I was a wealthy kid they didn't know that over the hill I'm yeah if I, you just walk over the hill I'm not going to one of those big pretty houses I'm going to the old house, right? So I think that set something up for me in my mind that pe what people did when they associated you with wealth mm -hmm. or things mm -hmm. or or they perceived, right, what where you came from, what resources you had. And that was probably my earliest understanding of the idea that money means something to mm. people. Money means that you can acquire something. You can acquire uh, um, the house or the whatever. It, 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 it was a means to an end, if you will, for so many people. And I, I had not been taught that yet, but at five and six, it was these narratives that I was listening to from children who didn't know they just didn't know. It was their association mm -hmm. with what they thought I had access mm -hmm. to that made me think, oh, what does that even mean? 
So I hear you that it's not just the family piece that impacts our relationship with money. It also, Dr. V, our relationship with money can be impacted by how other people see us and how we that may then want them to see us and their understanding of money and wealth and how they assign value to you based on what they think you have financially, right? And I can imagine what that does for so many children once they start having those kinds of experiences. Does that make sense at all? That makes so much sense because what you're talking about are, these are life issues. You're talking about identity. You're talking about self-worth. You're talking about something that can be an agent for positivity and change, but something that can be used as a weapon against you. A lot of the people that I work with, largely women coming out of emotionally abusive relationships, this is why spiritual, I mean, financial abuse is such a huge tool. I mean, spiritual abuse too, but because the money and the power, and there are women who will rather face the fear of poverty than to stay in a place where there's wealth, but there's no no reciprocating self, no love, no regard, no safety, and no peace. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it is something that can be um, a, a huge factor. Even with couples, it's one of the biggest reasons for divorce money and the mismanagement of money and even fundamentally that scripture you know the scripture really says the love of money is the root of all evil but because we have adapted it to be oh money is the root of all evil as good god-fearing folk most of us don't want to touch it or we don't want to have much of it right like you said just enough to get what you need but God really, really called us to be kings, right? Then the Bible, there were prophets and there were kings. Kings often funded the agendas of the, of the army and sometimes the agenda of the prophets. Right. So if you are a kingdom financier, God can put money in your hands to, to finance kingdom projects and kingdom wars. Yeah, that's so good. Talk, talk to us, Dr. V, about themes that appear when we talk about the connection between money and mental health. You talked about sometimes you'll, the, the factor of, you know, how money has a, a role to play in divorce and, and, and different things of that nature. Guilt and shame are often themes that appear when we talk about the connection between money and wealth. And those who have experienced poor financial standing might struggle through the stress of poverty and lack. While those who have a higher financial status and hold wealth and resources might struggle with the stress of financial failure or overwhelm because of their resources. Share with us how you can see how some of those nuances around that stress, the stress disorders that money can bring and and the impact that they can have on us, whether someone find themselves to be uh, poor or someone find themselves to be wealthy. So, yes. So if you think about, um, you know, where the Bible says that we cannot serve two masters, we're either going to love God um, or and hate mammon or hate mammon and love God. And mammon was a um, was was a false God. But the but at the root of that belief was really the love of money, the idolatry, idolizing it 
seeing it as a source and not a resource. Um, one of the ways that, you know, where we talk about, and my God will meet all my needs according to his riches, that is a really a conditional promise because the first mm -hmm. part is the people are helping Paul do the work of ministry. They've been giving an offering. So when you sow, you're going to reap, but he was speaking to an agriculture, you know, cultural um, community and context. And so they would understand seed time and harvest for us. We're not understanding that if I make an investment and I put my seed in a place that is healthy and I do it in a way that is sparingly, like you don't dump all your seed in one part of the ground, literally, and then expect to have a healthy crop. So we, mm -hmm. sometimes people can have extreme anxiety, like debilitating anxiety, where the fear of tomorrow is so great, it's hard to stay present. That's really what anxiety is, your mind too far in the future. What if this, what if this, what if this, what if that? And so there are people who are very skilled in the area of money, but they become so overwhelmed because of all the unpredictability, you're not in control. And if you think it's your source, you're really going to be wounded in those areas. Some struggle with depression. You know, their mind may be too far in the past. I, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't invested in that. And so what can happen is it creates an imbalance instead of knowing that God is our source. Money is one resource because really there are times in your life, if you look back, you didn't have money, but you had favor. You're like, yeah. wow, I got this furniture and all I had to do was pay for it to be sent here, but it's more worth more than $2,000. And mm -hmm. I didn't even have to pay for the furniture. That's mm -hmm. favor and favor can get you sometimes with what money can't. So when you have the balance and you're working from a true relationship with God, putting money in its rightful place, it's easier to combat the anxiety, the depression, uh, and sometimes the personality problems that come up from the love of money. Because if yeah. I feel powerless, most people don't realize that things like narcissism, they're really steeped in severe insecurity. So if I feel like I'm nothing, but I'm able to amass this well, then this is how I'm going to manipulate you and the people around you when you try to get out or seek help. And a lot of people say that they're like, my, my father, my mother, my, my spouse, they have a lot of power and a lot of money, but then we help them reorient that and know that there are other systems out there that can support them. But a big piece of it is gaining their own financial independence and freedom by educating themselves and being able to start over. So I've seen it. I love that. I love that. I love that. I want to, I want to ask a question that came up. I was, I'm over here taking notes as you speak. I'm, I'm curious and I, I, I'm not going to go completely off script, but I, I do want to ask this because you, you said something that stirred up this, this thought in me. And it's the concept of, and I want to speak directly in the Christian context here, evangelical Christian context. It's the concept of sowing and reaping. But mainly, mainly I say, as it relates to our understanding around tithing. You know, in the Christian context, I've seen how that concept has been used in a, in a manipulative way and an abusive way to the extent where it does cause stress and anxiety and fear 
amongst believers. I'm curious what your take is on that um, in general. I'm curious about your general take and, and, and what it means for people to believe in what they should do with their money in relation to their place of worship and how perhaps that can cause them to experience feelings of stress, anxiety, et cetera. All right. So I, I really appreciate that question. And I'm glad you doubled back because so much spiritual abuse has taken place in this area of offering, tithing, especially tithing. I mean, I've heard horror stories of churches that required people to give them their pay stub so that then the church can turn around and tell them how much to give. That is unbiblical, blasphemous, and foolish. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things mm -hmm. that I think one, I have to address how people can handle that, but then I have to go back and address the truth that will help you handle it consistently. So one, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit putting in your heart how much to give. So even if you know you're going to a place of worship or to hear someone speak or preach or a revival, something like that, or even to church every week, Holy Spirit, if you're calm and there's so much emotion tied to money, if you're calm and settled, Holy Spirit will will bring to your mind, you know, no. it may be an impression. It may be a number that comes to mind. It may be something that you see like, oh, I keep seeing this number. Oh, I, maybe this is the amount I'm supposed to give. Well, you agree with Holy Spirit to give that much. There are a lot of tactics people are using, I think, that are preying on people's emotions, you know, um, give this much in here, you know, $10 line, $100 line, $1,000 line, or I'm going to wait, there's five of you, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of things. And I think some people have been sincere in doing that, but too many have not. And mm -hmm. if you let the Holy Spirit tell you how much, that's what you're giving. And you're not being manipulated. There's a difference between a prophet in the Bible, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, and a for-profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, person who's trying to really manipulate and take advantage of your love for God and your relationship with him. One of the things I learned early on, and again, I guess it, it's the season two, because um, my grandmother's um, homegoing is this coming weekend, mm -hmm. or her, her celebration of life uh, memorial service. Um, I have, we'll have to have a whole series on, on just yeah. of her. But one of the things she taught me and reminded me is that tithing is about trust, right? You like for, for, for a farmer to put a seed in the ground and knowing that everything that's coming out of that ground, they need to live off of, a, you know, live off of, because we have to put ourselves in that agricultural society that was initially given the word of God. I, it takes a lot of faith and a partnership to take my seed, put it in the ground and expect that something's going to come up. This harvest is going to come up and we're going to be able to live off of. It's going to sustain us. Same thing with tithing. Tithing is saying everything I have came from God. He's just asking me to partner with him in the earth because in the earth, we need money to set aside, to, to acknowledge that that first 10% belongs to God. 
And I've known different times, you know, in my life where I couldn't do 10, I did five, but I tell you, I'm going to tell you, like my grandmother told me, I don't know how it all works, but I know that when I trust him, he provides. If you take it out of the realm of these people and what they're doing and put it into your relationship, a trusting relationship with God, then that's where you're more free to give in ways that are not bound by scarcity because our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I mean, he can he can make even people that say they don't like you, bless you. And so one of the ways you deal with the guilt, guilt is feeling bad about something you did, but shame is feeling bad about who you are. People are using mm-hmm. shame to, to really siphon money that is supposed to be, that God is earmarked for something else. And so part of it is just going to the source knowing that even these people are a resource and then allowing the word to reteach you. Remember, tear down those strongholds in your mind about money. I love that. I love that. And it's so, it, your book specifically, and even in the specialty of the work that you do, it's centered around that emotional abuse. And it's something that we forget that happens, I think, a lot in the Christian community, especially when it comes to um, tithing and offering is that emotional abuse that if you give this, this will happen. If you don't give this, this won't happen. Right. And there are consequences for that. And I think what you broke down and how you explained it is very clear in that we are called and instructed to give and how we're supposed to give, but then we should have, you know, a certain level of discernment and the Holy spirit will speak to us to let us know what that is. Right. And, and how our hearts are going to guide us to know what to give and to know when we're potentially being emotionally abused um, by, by those who are, who it seems as if by what they're asking us are in authority to us. Right. I'm curious to know Dr. B on the flip side, we've talked about how access to money and the management of money can impact our mental health. What are some of the ways that the condition of our mental health can impact our money and our relationship with money? Well, to answer this one, I want to um, just think about the, the um, psychological definition of thinking. So I'm looking at the American mm-hmm. Psychological Association Dictionary and thinking has to do its cognitive behavior. So it's thinking behavior, right? Which is really um, unseen, but it's in which images, ideas, mental representations or other hypothetical elements of thought are experienced and manipulated. It's what we're doing with those um, images and thoughts and ideas. So how you imagine something, how you remember something how you problem solve, how you daydream. Uh, There's something we do called free association. Like what, when I say the word money, if I were to say it three times in a row right now and you stop and tell, you know, write down the first three things that come to mind, that's your free association with money. And when we started this conversation, you talked about how, you know, for some wealth is, is seen as a bad thing or money is seen as a bad thing. And I remember I said, for some, it's dirty. So how, if your mind, if you have a problem with memory, that's going to affect how you deal with your money. If you have a problem imagining yourself with abundance, that's going to have a, that's going to really affect whether you give at all, 
right? Because if you, we think about that generation that came from the depression era, they function very differently with money because of the uh, trauma they experienced financially. They didn't know where their next meal was gonna come from. So now that there's more, you may have them in your home if you're in an intergenerational home. Now that there's access to more, they still function as if their more may never come, okay? Mm -hmm. And so if you um, form concepts around money that are negative, then you're going to function in that way. And so the thing about thought and thinking is it's covert, right? We don't directly, you can't directly observe what I think about money, but you can infer from my actions about money. You can infer about my self-reports. If every time we hop on the phone and I'm like, girl, I done run out of money again at the end of this month, mm -hmm. you have an idea of what my relationship with money can is about. So when we think about what our condition of mental health and how it impacts our money, it has a lot to do with how we're thinking about money how we feel about money and what money means to us and those around us. That's so good. That's so good. You mentioned, um, man, there's so much that we can say, although neither of us are financial experts. <laughs> I think that uh, by profession, right. Uh, uh, I think that um, I want to, I want to throw this in there too. Um I think that there is something to say about, I recently, let me, let me start over. I recently went to the Invest Fest. Invest Festival is a huge event that is hosted by the Earn Your Leisure podcast. So it's a podcast, Earn Your Leisure. And, um, and uh, the two hosts and all the phenomenal guests that they have as a part of their community that they bring onto the podcast, they came out in Atlanta and they hosted this event and it's specifically focused on generational wealth and Dr. V. I went to the event in Atlanta and connected with several people who were there, some I already knew, uh, other podcasters, other entrepreneurs like myself, et cetera. And there were over, if I'm not mistaken, 12,000 people there. And it was, um, amazing because it was of course majority black right so this podcast is hosted by two black men and majority of the people that they bring on their audience is made of african-americans and so it was amazing because it felt as if it was a it was a concert or a <laughs> A, a big HBCU classic or like, oh, wow. that's how <laughs> yeah that's how huge it was so I framed it because I want to get your take on what you mentioned that transition as a people in what we as African-Americans black folks have experienced in, 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 in sometimes what has been, of course, abuse, manipulation, discrimination, et cetera, and getting free from that and moving toward generational wealth in ways that we've never seen it before. What's your view on that as that freedom and that healing takes place for us as a people collectively? So, that sounds like an awesome event. And then the energy, you know, that you 
describe around it because you know homecoming at HBCU mm-hmm. is unprecedented you know those That's kinds right. of feelings but um one of the things that I think is important and this and I say this often I say it in my book but I say it often with any type of um negative situation or relationship part of the work is part of healing and, and deliverance is getting out of Egypt right? Getting out of poverty, having the means to earn money, no longer having banks that can legally have you invest your money and then and then refuse to give it back, right? This is the history of our people with financial institutions. That's why you have um, older uncle so-and-so who still keeps money in the cutout of the TV or in a can under the bed because a bank wasn't a safe place, right? But then you then have to get Egypt out of you. So -hmm. there are some mindsets. We would call them poverty mindsets, scarcity models. There are some mindsets that make us relate to money a certain way because they are still in us. And they may not be in me, but they were in my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. And it was passed down to me. And I still haven't even challenged, why do I think that way about money? Uh, One of my biggest coaches and teachers right now mentors with money is my mom it's mm. like she had an awakening I remember I think there if if she's listening to this or hears this I think there were two phases of her awakening I remember a time early on and um of course big shout out to my dad because he he had a lot of success with money but a lot of his drive came from some of the same negative relationships with money because of poverty early on right Right. but her first awakening she you know was on a great path but this new awakening is more holistic and it's more realistic and it's not just for the moment and so to take advantage of that I have to sit down and I have to submit because that's what submission really is about and learning is coming to the table saying I don't know everything right and once we get Egypt out of us we have to find what the counterfeits are like where you're talking about uh you know the ways that the church has manipulated people out of their money the best way to deal with a counterfeit is not to study all the counterfeits out there you really have to know and study the truth so if we start with the word the word has some very sound sound financial practices and principles the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, that the world is claiming this knowledge about having multiple streams of income or eight streams. The Bible talks about having eight, casting the bread out and it coming back eight different yeah. ways. I might not yeah. even get exactly right, but that's a biblical principle. And so if we can trust that looking back over the, even the, the difficult relationships we have with money, that God was there for us. And that he still made a way for us to provide more for the next generation, then we can challenge the poverty mindset when it shows up and we can call it out for what it is, right? Like, where does that come from? Why do you behave that way? Why do you think that about money? And, and listen to the teachers that have a balanced approach to it. Um, I can think of three people now and I won't name them, but that you can go to and sit at their feet, listen to what they're saying, read their books, and get a balanced approach of financial literacy and biblical principles. 
and be successful. That's right. And be successful. And, and you bring up a really good point. One that I can speak to personally is that when I deepened my relationship with God, abundance showed up in every aspect of life. And it's almost as if, you know, money started to find me (laughs) and money would kind of, you know, chase me down and knock on my door and say, Hey, here, here, here you go. But it was, it was really deepening that relationship. So rendering, as you said, it, it, it calls for opening my mind and understanding, as I said earlier, one of the scriptures, it says, you know, money is a tool. It is a resource, right? It is a, it is an answer for problems. It is an answer for an opportunity for you to be a blessing to someone, right? You're blessed to be a blessing and it's beyond, you know, um, it's it's beyond just your basic needs. And as we said earlier, the other scripture says, and God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. So there's a way that I think we we can start to think about money. And you're right too, the multiple streams of income. I've practiced that for years. That's a biblical, those are biblical principles, right? So I think when we go back to the source, we can really find um so many of these concepts that are directly connected to God's word. And we have to put them in practice. Yes the financial world and culture, society, et cetera, they, they exist there. But I mean, sowing and reaping, I learned that from the word as a kid, you know? So, and things of that nature, if we, I think there's some, just the basic principles um, that, that live right there in God's word that can help us be successful financially, but also can help us disassociate money with some of the triggers and the pain and the trauma that exists in our mental health. I, I want to ask you this. this is, I think this is a good transition to as we try to wrap up this episode. The word of God, as we said, it, it, it the, the foundational elements of what it means to be a good manager of your and a good steward of your resources um, and how not to either let that uh, cause you to have uh mental health issues or how to manage any mental health issues you have and not let money drive you deeper into uh, a a difficult state. The word actually does speak very tactfully about these themes of abundance, themes of wealth, themes of prosperity. Dr. B, what's your take on how we can take this spiritual perspective of those concepts in a way that move us to a place of healing with any associated mental health challenges that we might have. How do you see those themes, biblical themes of abundance, wealth, prosperity, aligned with and parallel with mental health issues in us moving toward a place of healing? Well, I think with everything for me, I know when I think uh, integratively, I think about the context. Um, our pastor in North Carolina always says, you know, scripture is best understood in context. And you mentioned the Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according um, to his riches and glory. And, and I mentioned earlier that that's conditional. That That is a promise that was given to people who have been providing offering to support Paul's ministry, right? And so if you know in an agriculture society that, you know, the other thing that he says is you can't expect a harvest where there's no seed in the ground. 
You have to invest, even in your career, in your education, you have to invest. And we, it took African-Americans years to get to the place where they would invest in education because that was being used against us as well. But there was something that really made it clear that we have to invest if we want to get something more out. And the same thing with Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. You said it. The blessing of the Lord is relationship with God. It's being in God's presence. It's, it's knowing God's word. It's engaging in those spiritual disciplines that not change God, but change us mm -hmm. and position us to receive. And if your father, and we have to look at the concepts of who God is. If your father is a king, could you see a king requiring, now we're talking about an ancient king. An ancient king would never require his daughter to go out and till the land to have her food. No, an ancient king would have his daughter by his side. She makes a request, even if she doesn't request it, he is going to provide for her out of the abundance of his heart. If we can position in our mind that our father, our heavenly parent is a, is a supreme king, a sovereign king, a benevolent king, a loving and just king, then we can accept that wealth and abundance is our portion. It's a part of our inheritance. You do not see a king sending, marrying his daughter off and she takes nothing with her. Mm -hmm. She leaves with the same abundance and she's only going to another place of abundance. He's not going to bless her marriage to anything less than what he's established for her. Same thing for the sons of God. <laughs> That's what we are. And if we would take our rightful place, even in that, then we have the power to look at the legislation that's coming across the, our nation or across the world. And we can show up with money because people answer to that right? Yeah. And we put, put ourselves at the table. And if they don't give us space at the table, we build our own table because we have the money to do that. Then things are happening around us. So we have to position ourselves to first believe that God wants us to prosper, even as our soul prospers. That mm -hmm. means financially. And it says God in Deuteronomy 818, I think I know it by heart. God gives us the power to obtain wealth. Yes. It takes power. It takes strategy. It takes knowledge. It takes wisdom. And it ultimately takes a trust in a God that wants to provide exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. I love it. I love it. Wow. That was powerful. Um, you know, this... It, we say we're not financial experts, but specifically you just, you laid it out in such a phenomenal way on this episode, the, the, the connectivity between money and mental health, uh, whether you've operated from a space of uh, having uh, uh, lack, the stress of property, those who may have been born into resources and still struggle with the stress of overwhelm. And just the nuances. And then those of us who may carry these proclivities toward having issues with mental health and then money being that trigger, money being, you know, a play, a thing and a and a and a and this this thing that causes us even even more uh trauma. So I, I think that we 
the way you unpacked it and, and aligned so many of the words and, and thoughts and phrases here and even given us a couple of definitions uh, have been really, really helpful. And I hope that as uh, we, at the time of this episode being recorded, uh, there's conversation in the United States, of course, around us moving toward a recession or that we're already in a recession. And so I, I ask that you for this, at the end of this episode, Dr. V, any final thoughts on how to encourage the listeners uh, who may be listening to this in a time of fear, in a time of worry or concern, and uh, and it, it may be causing them, you know, some issues with their mental health. Any any final words for those folks? So there's a practical side, right? If if someone says, um, so I lived in North Carolina for maybe 14 plus years. And when I think about living in North Carolina compared to California, California, you really don't know ahead of time. Like you don't know three hours or three weeks ahead that a earthquake is coming. But in North Carolina, you get, you get at least three hours notice that you need to get further inland or you need to board up your doors, all those things to prepare a hurricane is coming. Both of those are devastating, but if you know that they're coming, if they're saying a recession is coming, you have some heads up. There's still some things you can do. Um, it's vacation season. You can do some staycations. Instead of taking three vacations out of the country, take one and do some staycations. Um, find ways to start to invest. Find ways to partner and collaborate. Even if you're an entrepreneur and you think that you know, your service will be greatly impacted because maybe you provide a luxury for people. Try to partner with someone else and collaborate in ways that you both can continue to make money, making money in your sleep, creating something that's that's not temporal, that can be repeated. Um, but ultimately, remember, our father is a king. There are no recessions in the kingdom. This mm -hmm. kingdom is bountiful. God can bring money from other nations, from uh, other means. And, and sometimes God will give you things without money because favor is, is a part of our, um, our inheritance. The other piece, so, so people always talk about Goshen. We live in Goshen. You know, mm -hmm. when, um, I can't remember, it's Abraham and Lot and they had places to go. And, you know, if you go to this place, it's smaller, but there's still provision. And so the other piece is, I think it's Jeremiah 3.33, where it talks about, you know, really spending this time alone with God so that God could give you strategies. If mm -hmm. you spend time alone with God, God can tell you where the money is, you know, which fish has, the, right. has the coins in it. That's um, right. And I know I mix up all these metaphors, but if you can sit still with God, God can give you an income generating idea or help you to know which deals to invest in and which not. And, and I think that's the part because we get anxious about, oh, what to do, what to do. The first thing to do is to sit still and know that he is God and know that he will give you an idea so that the recession doesn't impact you in the same way. So my, my prayer really is that, that the people of God would sit and allow God to give them the wealth ideas such that we find ourselves in a place where the world has to come to the church for provision because we have grain in the midst of a famine. Mm -hmm. I, I got my job 
at USC in the midst of the pandemic. People are still baffled. Like, well, did you fly to California for a job interview? No, I got the job sitting in my living room in the middle of a pandemic on Zoom. And not only one opportunity, but three. And I had to choose which one I wanted. That's God in the midst of a recession. And with that, I'm complete. I mean, I, you can go ahead and preach if you want to. <laughs> I love it. I think I it comes it so out. Much. It comes out anyway. <laughs> Listen, I, I love it. And I, I can attest to that same experience in the Great Recession and not the Great Recession, the Great Resignation, as they say, and what 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 is looming or whether recession has already arrived, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, uh, yes, 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 yes to all of it and testimonies and all around testimonies, all around. So thank you again, Dr. V, uh, for this third installment in the Healed series as we unpack what it means to merge uh, our concerns and our care for mental health with our spiritual development. We're really excited about the feedback that you all have been giving us on this series and and just the podcast in general. So I want to thank every single listener uh, for saying, when are you going to do this? When are you going to bring more content? When are you going to have guests? When are you going to listen? I'm so grateful for uh, what we're doing. So grateful for you all sticking with us. And uh, there's going to be more. So just continue to stay tuned. Thank you again, Dr. V. Kings and Queens, who knew how deeply connected our money and our mental health could be? I learned so much from this conversation with Dr. V and I know you did too. And I am sure you have a lot to reflect on. So listen, if you are loving this Healed series, drop me a note and send me your feedback. Email me at hello at arielellis.com or message me on Instagram at arielmellis. I want to remind you to seek out professional and spiritual counseling if you find yourself in need of it. As I present this podcast to you, I want you to know that I too am learning about the healing process and what it means to maintain a healthy, happy, and whole lifestyle because I truly believe that is what God wants for us all. And I want to hear from you. Many times we wonder if we are reaching our maximum potential professionally, personally, and financially. And as you know, I'm a consultant and a coach. And I'd be honored to help you grow your brand and your business and impact your community and your culture in a way that is profitable and prosperous, just the way God desires for you. Reach out to me by going to arielellis.com and learn more about how I can support you. In this series, since there's so much that you can meditate on and affirm for yourself, instead of ending with affirmations, we want to provide you with scriptures that you can spend time with, and you may have heard them mentioned in the episode. So during your prayer and devotional time, and as you reflect on what you've heard and perhaps journal and jot down your thoughts and feelings that came up as you listen, let's go ahead and spend some time with these scriptures. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
Kings and Queens, may you be fully equipped to master excellence in the world this week. Go be excellent and don't forget your crown.